My auntie Dawn sent me a Facebook message last week and uh, she wanted me to have a look around our house because she had lost her purse, her little purse that has all her cards and her licence and so on in it. She was retracing all her steps over the last week trying to work out where she could have left it. Have you ever lost your purse? Or your wallet? Or your keys? Or your glasses? Or your phone? Or your socks? If you have lost something, you may not, but you may know the joy, the relief of finding it again. So I can remember this um, really strongly. A few years ago, I went down to Sydney for a wedding. I was the one conducting the wedding, and my suit was 20 years old. It was the same one I got when I was um, in Sydney at uni, so I thought I'd be nice to have a new suit. So I had an hour or two up my sleeve, so on the way to the wedding rehearsal, I went to the Macquarie Centre in Ride. I parked the car, I went in, I found a real nice suit. I managed to talk the guy down, I got a great deal on it. I went back to the car park on my way to the wedding, wedding rehearsal, and I could not find the car. Now, I was pretty sure I parked it on yellow level because every um, level has a different colour. So I started in one spot and I did this systematic walk all the way around the level yellow, up and down, getting bigger and bigger until I got to the very edge of the car park. No car. So I thought, okay, this is all right. I went back into the shopping centre because I remember when I first walked into the shopping centre, there was this big green plant on the left of the entrance and I thought if I find the entrance I went in, I'll find the car. Well, that was no help at all because I discovered that every single entrance (laughs) to the shopping centre had exactly the same artificial green plant in exactly the same spot on every level. So I got out the map There was a yellow level, a blue level, an orange level, a red level, a pink level, a black level, and a silver level. I was pretty sure it was yellow, but then my mind starts playing tricks on me. Maybe it was blue. So I decided to have a look around the blue level. Circles around the entire blue level, no car. So I, I, I went one level down, looked around that level, no car. It's now 45 minutes later, I still haven't found the car, and I'm running late for the wedding practice. And my legs are killing me because I have been walking around in my good dress shoes because I had them on to try on the suit. I'm walking around on concrete in my hard shoes and I'm sweaty and I'm starting to panic. So I actually decided to leave the car there and catch a taxi. (laughs) I headed over to the taxi stand way over the other side of the Macquarie Centre and right when I'm almost out of the car park, I turn the corner to the taxi stand and there's the car. I have never been so happy to see my car. I was so happy. It was just a car, but I was so relieved to have found it. Didn't have to explain to Jill that I'd lost the car. It's that emotion, that joy, that excitement that Jesus taps into in these three stories that we're looking at this morning. And Jesus wants us to see that that is how God feels when we are found. That is how God feels, that joy, that is how God feels when someone like you or me or Jono, who we just heard about, returns to him. It is pure joy. 
And we've got three stories to help us uh, grasp hold of this. Have a look in your outline there and you can see the three stories printed out. And we'll look at the first one together. It's from Luke 15 and it's verse 3 there, right at the top. Let's read it together. I'll just read it. You follow on. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. See, when you've lost something that's important to you, you are going to search hard to find it. And when you find it, there's great joy. You tell everyone about it. That's why when I found my car, I took a photo of the car park and I posted it on Facebook. I found my car. That's how God feels about us. Look with me there at verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. That means who turns back to God than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. See, this story, it's not just about sheep, it's about us. And Jesus tells a second story. The details have changed, but it's the same idea. Have a look there at verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. This lady has lost a silver coin. The Greek word there is it's a drachma. I actually bought one off eBay. That's what it looks like. Here's a Greek drachma from about 200 BC. So that's exactly the kind of coin this woman lost. It is so tiny, isn't it? No wonder that she lost it. It's like a one cent piece, but it's worth a day's wages. This coin matters to her. So she gets out the lamp, the torch. She looks in all the dark places. She sweeps the whole house looking for this tiny coin. And when she finds it, verse 9, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, that joy of finding something precious is how God feels when someone returns to him. Do you see where Jesus is going with this? Jesus thinks that we are lost. Which is strange in a way, isn't it? Because it's not that God can't find us. It's not that God doesn't know where we are. God knows where we all are. Jesus is talking about when we lose our way from God. And to make sure uh, that we don't miss this, Jesus tells a third story, and it's not about a sheep or a coin getting lost, it's about a son who gets himself lost. It's about a lost son, and we are like this son. Verse 11. Jesus continued There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. 
Now, if you've had a child leave home, you'll know it's hard when your kids leave home. We were pretty sad when our oldest son, Ben, he's now 21, he left home a few years ago. And I remember those first few weeks after he left home, we wandered around the house and it felt lonely and it was quiet and there wasn't the sick jokes that Ben used to tell and there was an empty chair there at mealtimes. It was hard even though he left home loving us and ringing us all the time to catch up. But it must be harder when your son or daughter leaves home and they want nothing to do with you. It must tear your heart apart to watch your own son or daughter deliberately reject you and then destroy their life. That's this son. Jesus says he took his inheritance and he just squandered all the family money in wild living. He runs away from home and he wastes it all. This son is lost. Did you notice, though, what kind of lost it is? He's not lost because he doesn't know where home is. He's not lost because he can't find his way home. He's lost because he doesn't want to go home. He's lost because he's run away from home and he doesn't even realise at this point in the story that he's lost. In fact, life seems to be working out fairly well for him, doesn't it? He's got plenty of money, which probably means he's got plenty of friends. He's having a great time. And I wonder if that's what life is like for some of us. We walk away from God, and for a while, life without God might look promising. Things might even go pretty well, humanly speaking. It might even feel like freedom. But it's not. It's empty because we know there is a God. The Bible says that each one of us deep down, we know there's more to life than just what you can see and taste. And we might do our best to try and ignore that, but in our hearts, we know there's more. Even if we've suppressed it and pushed it away, we know there's more and we know there's a God. We're lost. And this son, in this story, eventually he realises that. Although it does take something bad to happen to him to make him realise that he is lost. He does come to his senses, but look at how he gets there, verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here am I, starving to death. I love that phrase there in verse 17, he came to his senses. Have you ever come to your senses? Have you ever been doing something and you're so absorbed in it and you're so doing it one way, even though it's a stupid way, that you don't see how stupid it is, but then somehow you snap out of it and you come to your senses. 
My moments of coming to my senses usually involves trying to fix something that I shouldn't be fixing, that I should never have tempted to fix, and getting myself deeper and deeper in trouble. So a few years ago, our ute wouldn't start, and it looked like something electrical, and I pride myself on being good with electrical, so I decided to do a bit of poking round. And I thought it might be the ignition coil, good old Google, so I bought a new ignition coil, still wouldn't start. Oh, it might be the leads, Google says, so change the leads, still wouldn't start. Might have been another part and another part, change them, still wouldn't start. Now, I kind of had this nagging feeling I should have taken it to a mechanic, but the more money I wasted replacing things that weren't broken, the more I wanted to fix it myself. But after I'd spent $300 and my entire day off, and having a car no closer to anything like working, I came to my senses. What was I doing? Why wasn't I listening to Jill when she said, take it to the mechanic? So I booked it into an auto electrician, and he fixed it first go. Come to your senses. It is Coming to your senses is to see things for what they are instead of being stuck in your own little dream world. And when it comes to God, coming to our senses is acknowledging that God exists instead of living in our little dream world where we're pretending that he's not there. And in Jesus' story, the son comes to his senses. He thinks back to his father. He thinks back to the home that he's left behind. And he realises life away from his father isn't as good as he thought it would be. Okay, have a look at verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Now, some people, when it comes to God, never get to that point. Some people don't come to their senses. They just keep doing what they're doing without thinking about it. And they don't step back and think, what is life all about? And it's funny, isn't it? When life is going well, that is really easy to do. You just go on and enjoy life and you're blind to what actually matters. But often... It's the case, isn't it, that when things fall apart, when we hit rock bottom, it can be then that we take stock of our lives and we think about what's important. But it doesn't always take something bad to happen before we come to our senses. And if you're here today, I would love you to come to your senses and think about God and think about the big questions in life before kind of thing happens. But for this son... In this story, it's a famine that forces him to realise that life back with his father was actually pretty good. Life starving is bad, life back with his father starting to look good, but the thought of going back home makes him realise that he's actually treated his father badly. And so as he starts to head for home, he starts to practice in his head the speech that he might give to his father when he arrives home. 
Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in an argument and you're lying in bed and you're practicing in your head what you're going to say the next day? This son has been practicing his speech on the way home. Verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That's not a bad start, is it? He knows he's done wrong. He knows he's treated his father badly. He may as well own up to it. But there's more, verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he kind of realises he doesn't have the right just to rock on home and expect that everything will be like it was. He's thrown away the entire inheritance. He doesn't deserve to be back in the family, so he just wants to go home and work for his dad. I wonder how his dad will respond. Let's see, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. It's as if the father has been waiting for the son to come home. And so the son, he starts his speech. It's word for word as he's practiced. The son said to his father, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But then things take a turn. Because what should come next in this speech that he's been rehearsing? What should come next is, make me like one of your hired men. That's not what comes next, though, is it? Look what happens, verse 22. His father interrupts the speech. 22. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He's welcomed home as a son again. He's back in the family. And this isn't just go down to Woolies and buy a $5 mud cake. No, this is kill the fattened calf. When we were in Vanuatu visiting my brother over there, the local village did this. They killed one of the bullocks. And when you kill the fattened calf... There is a massive feast. It is so spectacular because there's no fridge to put the leftovers in. So you have to eat it all on the day. And so you are having 100 people over for dinner and they are all celebrating. It's over the top. It's extravagant. It's the biggest celebration you could have. In fact, it is so over the top that if you read the next bit of the passage, which is not on here, but you might want to look it up later, the older son gets angry. It's a shock to him that his father could just overlook everything his younger brother has done. But that's the point. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to. Verse 23. 
See, this isn't about a sheep or a coin or even a son. This is about us. So if you're here today and you don't know God, whether you've been coming along to church for a long time or it's your first time, if you're here and you've been running away from God, God wants you to come to your senses. That is, he wants you to realise that life doesn't work without him. He made you and you were made for a relationship with him. He wants you to say something like, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. So if you take nothing away from this this morning, just have a look right there on that page at 21. It's in the middle, about six or seven lines up. Circle 21, and this is the kind of prayer that you need to pray if you want to come back to God. Have a look at it there, 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That's the kind of prayer that we would pray to come back to God. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. And if you pray that prayer and mean it, God will have you back home. Because as Jesus told this story in Luke 15, he was on his way to Jerusalem where he would die on a cross to pay for the wrong way that we've treated God so that we can be forgiven. And because of that, God is standing with his arms wide open waiting for you to take that offer up. And if you do come back to God, everything is forgiven. It's a fresh start. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. It doesn't matter how far from God you've wandered away. God stands there ready to forgive. That's what this story's about. So me finding my car, or a farmer finding his sheep, or a woman finding her lost coin, or a man welcoming home his lost son, If you don't know Jesus, that lost son or daughter is you. And God wants you to know that you are precious to him and he would love for you to come home. And if you want to do that, verse 21. I'll leave that with you.